How would you assess the play of both Casey Smith and Tristan Jari? As of now, obviously they've had success throughout the season. I think they were first in the entire NHL through the months of February and March and take percentage. I mean, how would you assess their play right now? I think that they're both playing really well. Mike Sullivan always talks about how not only is it a luxury to have two netminders you can depend upon, but it's almost essential in this league, and especially this season, because it's shortened and condensed, the value of two goaltenders has never been greater. And the Penguins have one of the better tandems, if not the best tandems of late, which is a crazy thing to say starting earlier this season. I mean, you look at it, when Ron Hextall and Brian Burke came in, they had to think that goaltending was one of the positions they'd like to address leading up to the April 12th deadline. Now, the way that Tristan Jari has rediscovered the form that made him an all-star, and Casey DeSmith has stepped in and produced stats that aren't only some of the best of any backup, but until very recently, he had the very best day percentage of the entire league before uh, he let up six goals against Boston on Saturday. So uh, the Penguins' goaltending is a very important part of hockey. It's maybe the most important part, and the Penguins are certainly getting it from both of their guys recently. You, it wouldn't be the Pittsburgh Penguins without mentioning a guy named Sidney Crosby, who has seemed to elevate his game to another level, at least as of late and in the month of March, on both sides of the puck. Would you say that that's just Sidney Crosby being Sidney Crosby, or you know he's taking leadership because Malkin's not there, Kapanen's not there, Bluger and Tab are not there? Do you think that that's you know both of those play a factor? Yeah, it's definitely a combination. It's it's like the Penguins need Crosby to be at his best right now, and he's certainly stepping up at the perfect time. And you have to give his line mates some credit, too, as well, playing alongside Jake Gensel and Brian Rust. What really sticks out to me is, if you remember back to last year, when Crosby was out for an extended period of time and he was recovering from sports hernia surgery, it was Evgeny Malkin who stepped in and elevated his play to the next level, playing with these same two wingers, Jake Gensel and Brian Rust. Now here you have Crosby in Evgeny Malkin's absence stepping up to form a very elite top line, uh, possibly one of the best in hockey. And as you mentioned, they're doing it on both sides of the puck. And that's what's always stuck out to me about Sidney Crosby is there's players throughout the league who are stars, who score goals, uh, but Crosby might be the most complete two-way center in all of hockey. Knowing the importance of how much, you know, as we enter the month of April, knowing how much importance is in these games coming down the stretch, playoffs are coming around the corner, and normally we'd have playoffs by this time. But as of right now, how important is it for the Penguins to at least get points, like one point, two points, and not allow other teams to get points? Yeah, I think that right now the Penguins have done a nice job of racking up points against some of the tougher teams earlier on in the season. Uh, earlier on in the year, the schedule was heavily weighted towards some of the competitive teams like the Islanders, the Bruins, um, the Capitals, teams like that. Now, one fortunate thing for the Penguins is over their next 10 games here and for the foreseeable stretch, it actually gets a little bit easier where they've got a bunch of games coming up against the Devils, a bunch of games against the Sabres, a couple games against the Rangers. So they can kind of, this is their opportunity to, to rack up points and maybe make up some ground on the Capitals and possibly contend for the East Division title here, uh, which will obviously be big. But I give them a lot of credit for what they did earlier in the season, where they set themselves up where it appears that they've pretty much, barring a, a collapse, will be in the playoffs. And now they can kind of focus on getting the line combinations right and getting healthy.
with everything that has happened this year in the injury department for the Pens, they've found ways to get common uh, contributions from their bottom six. Is that a credit to good coaching? Is that accredited to just, you know, playing well? What's the main thing behind that? It seems like this has been a recurring theme for the Penguins. Like, if you go back to last season, it was a similar situation where the more players they lost, it seemed like the more points they racked up. And it's been the case again this year. There was a, a game earlier this year where they were playing without six of their top 12 forwards. So half of their forwards were injured or on the COVID list. So the fact that they're still able to win despite that adversity, I think, starts with coaching but then trickles down from there. I think that Mike Sullivan, what he does when these guys are injured, he instills a certain belief in them. He often repeats the same message that we've got enough in this locker room. And I think what he's saying to the media is the same thing he's saying behind closed doors, and the guys buy into it. And then the second more tangible thing other than that, other than just belief, is they do seem to be playing more of a defensive, simple style of hockey. He always talks about when you go through these stretches of adversity, simplifying the game. And that's what you're seeing with the Penguins. And that's, I think, what's part behind part of their success in terms of goal prevention, where they're not playing a high-risk game, they're not trading chances, and as a result, uh, they're forcing other teams into mistakes and in, in turning good defense into uh, scoring chances and into offense. You mentioned the high-risk play, and one thing that's been steady this year, and it hasn't come back to bite them, that they have in past years, mainly the last, in 2018 and 2019, when the pinching of the D would, would come in, and obviously Latang has been known for that. But Mike Matheson and Cody Cece have really impressed in the way that they play in the offensive zone and the way they play, basically the way they play defense at their position. I mean, they tend to get generate more opportunities. And is that something that Todd Reardon is looking for out of that specific D pair, or is that what he's looking for through every D pair that he has? Yeah, coming into the season, there was a lot of talk about uh, getting more production out of the defensemen. If you look at the league as a whole, uh, it's becoming more of a total game. You know, they talk about like soccer; they call it total soccer, where all five guys or all the guys on the on the pitch are participating. Uh, basically, hockey's kind of becoming more like that. It's becoming kind of more positionless, and so getting a guy like like I think part of it has to do with the players they've acquired, and part of it is the way that they're coaching them, where you go out and you get a guy like Mike Matheson, who very very clearly has great offensive instincts. He can skate, uh, he can shoot the puck, uh, he can move the puck, and then you put him in a system where they allow him that freedom and that latitude to play to his strengths and act on his instincts, and you have the situation where he has here, where a guy who was a healthy scratch during the playoffs in Florida is now playing in the top four and looking like one of the Penguins' better defensemen. So I, I think that it's kind of a combination of those two, uh, but it's certainly working out for the Penguins right now. With the way that Jared McCann is playing right now, and we saw this last year when the stretch when Crosby was not on the lineup, he seemed has he's seemed to become a reliable scorer for them, and he's playing in the top six role. Do you think that that has an impact on what Mike Sullivan's lines want to look like? As you come down the stretch in the later in the later weeks in April and into the playoffs in May, hopefully. Yeah, with this team, I'm always reluctant to look too far ahead because you start to think about piecing a lineup together when everybody's healthy, and then it seems like everyone's never healthy. Uh, but it, it will be a question for sure when Evgeny Malkin gets healthy uh, and comes back. Um, I could 
you know, previously Jason Zucker had been the guy playing on the left wing there. Um, I'm not sure that that was exactly the best fit. I sometimes think that Jason Zucker might be better if he was a featured piece of his own line, maybe further down the lineup. Um, and maybe Jared McCann obviously showed an opportunity, uh, an ability to step in and thrive in that role. So that would definitely be one option as you continue to keep McCann in a second line role, but shift him from center over to left wing. Another option would be that you decide that Jared McCann is going to center one of your bottom six lines going forward. There's been some question about him from basically the moment they acquired him, whether he's a winger or whether he's a center. He had played center all of his life until he came to Pittsburgh, but then they thought that maybe he would succeed in their system and using his speed more on the wing. So that's really a kind of a one of the bigger questions once Malkin comes back is, what do you do with Jared McCann? And that's also something that could uh, factor into the decision-making process as we approach this April 12th trade deadline. You mentioned the trade deadline, and, you know, what will the Penguins do? Do they sell pieces where they're deep at? Are they in a place where they can improve the lineup at all, like give up stuff? Or are they overall big buyers for anything? I wouldn't expect them to be major players either way, uh, but if they do make a move, I would expect them to try to add a big physical forward who can solidify the bottom six in some way. And whether that's a forward or whether that, or whether that's a winger or whether that's a center, I think goes back to what you think about uh, a guy like Jared McCann and what you think about a guy like Freddie Goudreau. He has really stepped in and taken full advantage of his opportunity. And maybe he's the answer as a fourth line center. Um, so and that's what I would expect the Penguins to add in terms of what they would give away. That's really a big question because, you know, obviously no one's going to fault Jim Rutherford. He has two Stanley Cups, but in the process, he also left the cupboard somewhat bare. In terms of future assets for the Penguins, uh, they've already given up a number of their draft picks for this upcoming draft, including the first-round pick. So the second-round pick in 2021 is one of their best assets, but they, they're on record as saying, Brian Burke and Ron Hessel are on record as saying, they don't want to give up that 2021 second-round pick. So if you don't want to give up that, um, the other assets, future assets that the Penguins have, they drafted two goalies in 2020, and then they drafted the two forwards, Sam Pullen and Nathan Legere, for from 2019. And I think that they're also reluctant to move any of those forwards. So if they're not going to move the second-round pick and they're not going to move the forwards, then maybe they would be interested in giving up a goalie. But even then, I'm not sure that they're crazy about giving away a future asset. So uh, a lot of speculation has surrounded Marcus Patterson because the Penguins are deep on the left side blue line. They they recently uh, acquired um, Mark Friedman off of waivers from Philadelphia. And even though he's a righty, he feels more comfortable on his left. So that's an option there. Uh, the There's also P.O. Joseph, obviously, who did some good things during his brief stint in the NHL. Now, the Penguins believe that he's in the minors not because there's not a place for him here, but because that's kind of where he's at in his progression. So it's going to be a balancing act there where uh, the Penguins saw last year what happened when they subtracted from, or when they didn't have the strongest third defensive pair. So does it make sense to add to your forward core if it comes at the expense of your defense? And I think that that's probably some of the calculations they're making Um when they're trying to approach the trade deadline and figure out what they might want to acquire and what they'd be willing to give up. If you if you think about it, the Teddy Bluger, Zach Aston Reese line, and Brandon Tanev were really good last year at what they did. 
and they were playing in a bottom six role, but they were playing at the third line level. And they started out in the fourth line level this year. They moved up to the third line. Do you think if the Penguins add in the trade deadline that maybe that line goes into a fourth line and then they get good matchups maybe? Do you, do you see that happening? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. It depends how big of a swing they want to take at free agency. If they go out and they make a major move and they get, let's say, a legitimate third-line center, uh, then that could bump that down to a fourth line. Then you've got possibly a line that features any number of the, a new center plus maybe Jason Zucker and Evan Rodriguez. Uh, that would be uh, a third line that could give the Penguins that third scoring punch that they're looking for. And then uh, the fourth line, the tan- the blue line, was now the third line. So the one big thing with them is they can play against anybody. Uh, Mike Sullivan really likes to play them against even opponents' top line as a shutdown line, and that then has a trickle-down effect where it creates favorable matchups for the rest of the roster. So that would be the big move. If they were to go take a big swing and get uh, a difference-making center that could play third-line minutes, that's how that would look. I'm not sure the, the issue is I'm not sure that they have the assets or are willing to part with the future assets to make a move like that possible. I've heard this described as a buyer's market right now, which does help the Penguins, but I still wonder how active they're going to be or what kind of a difference maker they're going to try to get or if they're going to just try to find a piece that maybe contributes more uh, in a bottom six role and kind of ride with what they've got. Well, the Penguins shed some demons this past weekend against Boston. They went into Boston. They won in TD Garden. And that was the first time since 2014 when they won, 2013 or 14 when they won. With that win, does that basically say that they can go into any environment and win? Now, obviously, they've played in seven different environments this season. But, you know, down the stretch, can they go into an environment as hostile as TD Garden in Boston and just, you know, make a statement? I think that that win was big for a number of levels, and um, firstly for Mike Sullivan. He's a guy who's from the Boston area. He grew up not far from there. He went to um, Boston College High School, and then he went to Boston University for uh, college. So he knows that area well. He has family and friends there. He used to coach there. And that was the first time that he had ever won in Boston as the coach of the Penguins. So it was a big win for sure. So... Uh, definitely it has to give them some confidence. They actually did a couple funny things to try to break and mess with uh, maybe a little bit of the mojo. Uh, like I guess they stopped at a different coffee place than they normally do to get their coffee. You saw Chris Letang, he shaved a, a mustache uh, to try to mix things up a little bit and maybe uh, give them a little good luck. And uh, hockey players can be superstitious guys, and I guess whatever they did, it worked. Um, but it, that's definitely encouraging for the Penguins. And, and I'm really intrigued by the fact that uh, you're seeing the temperature of these games go up. You know, they've already, most of these, by the end of the season, the Penguins have, will have played some of these, you know, heated rivals like the Capitals and like the Flyers and then really good competitive physical teams like the Bruins eight times. Now, because of the structure of the playoffs, they could go in and play a team like the Bruins seven more times. So after playing them eight, what's, well, if if it looks physical and like these teams don't like each other after eight times, what's it going to look like after they've played each other 15 times in a short season? So these are going to be some really interesting playoffs, and uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun for sure to watch how it plays out. You touched on how 
you know, there are some of the higher teams in the division than there are some of our lower teams in the division. You, you talk, you look at the Islanders and the Capitals, for example. The Islanders have had at least their number when it comes to trying to find ways to get two points against them. I mean, is that the way that they play against them? Like, is there a certain way they play against certain opponents? Is there is that a way the Penguins play against the higher class of the division compared to the lower class of the division? I, one thing that really sticks out to me is just the evolution they've had against the Islanders in particular. So the Islanders are a team that is a very typical Barry Trotz team. They want to sit back, clog the neutral zone, wait for you to make mistakes, and then capitalize and transition. And that obviously cost the Penguins recently during their playoff series, um, what was it, 2018, where they ended up losing the series because they were still trying to play, you know, uh, a little bit more of a high-risk kind of game. And you've really seen an evolution in the last couple of years in terms of the way the Penguins play against a team like that. And the fact that the Penguins did have the Islanders number, I think, tells you a lot uh, about how they've grown as a team and uh, the decisions that they're making. So... Uh, that gives me a lot of confidence in the Penguins going to the playoffs. And the fact that they've had success against these upper echelon teams, I think uh, definitely uh, gives them as good of a chance of any as being the one team to merge out of the East Division and represent the East Division. I know throughout the season, because of the unique structure here where they're playing teams you know, two and three times in a row, uh, the coaching staff has kind of talked with them about approaching each one of those like a little miniseries and saying to them, let's try to win this series in front of us. So it's going to be interesting after using that approach and it working during the regular season, it'll be a lot of fun to watch how they do in a true playoff series that's seven games long. Well, the special teams were not the best in, in the stretch from January and the month of February. They weren't the best. And then it seems as if whenever Sidney Crosby went out of the lineup due to COVID protocols against Philadelphia, they seem to become more simple, as Mike Sullivan would say, and they just seem to gel, and that's when the power play really seemed to click. Is that, and that's also the same thing with the penalty kill. They've been really good as well. Is that just, you know, having a good stretch? And, you know, since then, they rank among the NHL's best. I mean, what changes do you think they've made? I think the big thing that I look at is when uh, coming into the season, they changed uh, the assistant coaching staff and Mike Bellucci came in and he coaches the penalty kill. And then Todd Reardon came in and one of the main reasons why they hired him was they were looking for somebody to fix the power play. And initially I think that there were some growing pains, especially on the penalty kill there where with the penalty kill, uh, the Penguins were trying to implement uh, a more aggressive style of killing penalties. So they wanted them to try to be more aggressive in terms of, uh, prevent injuries, so be more aggressive at the blue line. And then even within the zone, they wanted them to be more aggressive, try to limit the amount of zone, zone time for the opponents. And they were trying, they kind of were walking the tough line there where they were telling the guys to be more aggressive and then the guys were being overly aggressive. And, uh, being overly aggressive was then putting them out of position and creating opportunities for the opponent to make seam passes and put the puck in the back of the Penguins net. So, what they've done recently, I think, is find the right balance. Uh, they they talked about being selectively aggressive, which I think is a good way to, pr- to phrase it. So I think they're, they've always had the right personnel. They have a bunch of guys who are speedy, uh, who block a lot of shots, who aren't afraid to, to step in front of a puck. Um, so they had all the right pieces, and they had coaches who traditionally had success on the kill. So I think that was just an evolving process. 
In terms of the power play, I think a lot of guys on the power play sometimes take more pride in uh, making a fancy pass to set the other guy up for the goal than they do scoring the goal themselves. And Mike Sullivan has talked often about taking a more of a shooter's mentality or a shoot-first mentality. And you're seeing that pay off, and especially recently of late with Jared McCann on the, penalty, or on the power play. Uh, he's only been on the power play all of about a week or so, and he already has four power play goals, which is tied for the team lead. And what you're seeing is exactly like what Mike Sullivan is preaching. Is He's a guy that has a great shot, and he's not afraid to just grip it and rip it. And uh, on a power play with so many guys that have so much uh, skill and hockey sense to make plays, having one guy that's just not afraid to shoot the puck, I think, is going a long way for them. Going back to Jared McCann for a minute, whenever Sidney Crosby came back into the lineup last year, it seems as if and then, if I'm not mistaken, he was a healthy scratch in the bubble at some point then. And now you look here, he started off really cold and he was injured in the beginning of this season. He's now really hot. When Malkin comes back, is he going to fade back into, you know, sort of an ice-cold player that might not be able to contribute whenever his number is called upon? One thing that stuck out to me in the limited time that I've covered Jared McKinnon is he seems to be a streaky player. And right now he's really on a hot streak. And so uh, for me the question becomes, can he continue to stay on, on this hot streak he's on? And I think it comes down to a couple things. Um, one of them is just getting to the scoring areas. So, you know, uh, he has great speed and he can move well. Uh, so it's a matter of getting to the front of the net. And a couple of the goals that he scored with Evgeny Malkin as his center, uh, he ended up tumbling into the boards or crashing into people. Uh, there's a physical toll that comes with scoring goals in the NHL, and I think that that's part of what Jared McCann is going to have to do in order to continue to be successful and continue the run that he's on. I think the way that Mike Sullivan has put this term is healthy competition in the bottom six. Would that be the right way to describe it? And if that's the case, who would you say is going to earn that spot? Obviously, Jankowski's been making his case these last two games. Goudreau has been phenomenal in his time here. And Sam Blafferty is still a solid option that you could have in the bottom six. Yeah, uh, so for one of the bottom six lines, if everybody's healthy and you have your full complement of players, which for these Penguins is maybe a big assumption, you would think one of those lines is going to be um, Zach Aston Reese, Teddy Bluger, and then Brandon Tannis. So there, so that's that takes up three of the three of the bottom six spots. Then for the other line, to me, that's a big question. I think I could see things going any which way for that for the for those three spots. Um, I guess if I had to predict right now, I would say Freddie Goudreau as the center. Um, with well. The the discussion is tough because it's about who's healthy. But if I were to guess, I would say Freddie Goudreau with Mark Jankowski and Sam Lafferty, given the current makeup of the roster. But if they get healthier, conceivably, you could have a guy like Evan Rodriguez playing in the fourth-line role, or you could have a guy like even Jason Zucker in a bottom-six role in some capacity, um, or even a guy like Jared McCann. So. That's the tough thing is you don't know who's going to be healthy at what time. But if I'm looking at the roster right now, given their current injury status, um, I think Freddie, when Bluger comes back, the more immediate one, the, um, when Teddy Bluger comes back, I could see 
Freddie Goudreau centering the line that features Mark Jankowski at wing and Sam Lafferty at the other wing. Last question I have for you is that with a bunch of hockey to be played in a, in a stretch of a month, and we're just a month away from the playoffs, normally we see one goalie take on the lead and try and get into playoff form with a bunch of stretch of games that gets him ready. With Tristan Jari, he's been dealing with the injury. He's back tonight against the Rangers. And, you know, that might have helped him recoup and recover. Is he going to be like most goalies that we see? Obviously, you know, they have the hot stretch with Casey DeSmith that he's been on. They have Tristan Jari, who seemed to find himself again. Does Jari earn more starts than DeSmith down the stretch? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they'll split up the workload, but I think the important thing is to play him enough games that he feels comfortable and in his rhythm, uh, but not so many that he goes into the playoffs tired. Uh, but if there's anything that I've learned about Tristan Jari recently uh, over the last two years of covering him, I do believe he's the type of goalie that the more he plays, the better he plays. So I would expect him to definitely shoulder the majority of the workload over this last stretch, even though Casey DeSmith has played very well. His stats are, uh, like I mentioned before, among the league's best. Tristan Jari is still your number one goalie. And when the Penguins go into the playoffs, and goaltending matters more more than ever. Uh, Tristan Jari is their guy, and he's going to be one of the biggest factors that determines how long they go into the postseason.